come on stage and lead us in the next song yes they're all making their way <laughs> you can come on stage or you could stand in front of the stage
for us as we end our time in songs. Our almighty heavenly father, you are indeed a majestic God. And thank you that we can come and worship you without fear of persecution. Thank you that every day we can meet, I mean, every week we can meet as a church family and grow each day in the word of God. May you soften the hearts of those who don't know you and fill them with your Holy Spirit and give them hope and happiness. Thank you again for being such a sovereign God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So while we have the kids up here on stage with us, let's do scripture at Subi. And let's do this one for the month of August. All right. Let's go. <laughs> Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and, and his, his paths past beyond tracing out. out. Wonderful, thank you. Well, kids, you are welcome to go to your Subi Kids classes now. And for the rest of us, please take a seat. Maybe say hello to someone around you. Good evening, church. My name is Melanie, and I'm one of the staff members here at Subi. On your seat or next to you will be a Connect card. And this is how you can leave prayer requests, RSVP to events that we have, and let us know that you are here today. So please take your time to fill one in, and if you prefer a digital form, please scan the QR code that's behind me, or there are a few outside in the foyer area as well. Offering. Offering is an important part of our worship to God. We give with joy and thanksgiving to God because of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Now there's a box to the left as you exit if you choose to give physical monies. And now let us pray for our offering. Father, you are the greatest and most generous giver. You have shown us in the example when you gave us your son. Help us to respond by giving generously and may the money be used to build your kingdom. Amen. Upcoming events. We have Cafe Melody, which will be this coming Saturday at uh, on the 26th of August from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. at the third place, which is just down the road at Salvation Army. Cafe Melody is our monthly music outreach ministry to the local Subi community. We had such an amazing time with last month's guest pianist, Ron Hancock, and he will be leading the music again this month. So please come along for an uplifting time of music and as we sing unto the Lord, invite your friends, and make some new ones, and after that, come for the Saturday service. City to Serve Road Closures, that will be happen happening next Sunday, so if you are coming for next Sunday service, please take note that there are road closures around the city until 12 noon. Our Sunday services at 9 and 10.45 will be going ahead as usual, so please make sure to plan ahead, check the website for the road closures when they are the timings that they're open and closed, and how you'll be affected. Awana volunteers. Awana is our midweek program for kids aged three to year six, and we have the great opportunity of discipling kids and encouraging them to memorize scripture and build a great foundation for them. And I run that. Um, a number of children who have attended Awana has been steadily increasing this year. So we started off with 35, and now we are averaging 45 after just half a year. 
And because of that, we will need more volunteers to come and disciple this, these kids. We'll need three more who can commit to Tuesdays during term time from 5.30 to 7 p.m. And this will help us disciple the kids more effectively with better leader-to-kid ratios. So please indicate on your Connect card, email, or look for me. I'll be in the kids' reception area. If you want more information or would like to um, commit to serving with us. We have a new addition. Congratulations to Ashton and Faith Yu on the birth of their first child, Charlotte. Charlotte was born on the 24th of June. So please keep the new parents in prayer as they adjust to life with a new addition to their family. It's now time for us to come before the Lord in prayer. As we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word, please join me as I lead us. Father, may your name be praised in all the world, for you are our loving creator. You deserve all our thanks and honor. Lord, please provide for the people of the island of Maui in Hawaii after the devastating fires that killed over 110 people last week. Be with the families who have lost loved ones. We pray for effective aid relief and housing to minimize the untold suffering. Please enable the survivors and their communities to rebuild their lives. May Christians and Christian organizations communicate the gospel message as they care for the dispossessed. May non-believers see in the events of the fire that this world is not the way it should be and draw them to know you. Please help those here in our own backyard who are struggling with the rising cost of living. Please provide jobs for those who are unemployed, shelter and resources for those without. May we who are in a position to help show the love of Christ in practical ways. We thank you for the OMF conference held this Saturday. Please give David Liao continued wisdom as he leads OMF in WA and as he raises awareness of the urgency of mission to potential missionaries. We pray you would raise missionaries to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to people in spiritual darkness who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray for Subi Church. Give our elders godly wisdom and discernment as they plot and plan for eternity and as they decide on the leadership structure for the future. We pray for our youth and young adults. Lord, please provide the pastor of your choosing to take over the role to build into the lives of these precious ones and to shepherd them. Father, just as you are holy, please enable us by a powerful spirit to be holy in all we do. Let our eyes be pure, our words be gentle and kind, and may we be slow to anger. When we are tempted, show us the way out and lead us to obey you. Be with Pastor Chin as he teaches us the word of God. May we have contrite hearts. May we tremble at your word. May we listen attentively. Shape us and strengthen us through your powerful word, we pray. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This week's Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that 
Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Thank you, Kendrick. Good evening, everyone. Good to be with you. It's always, always an encouraging a time where we can gather as God's family, you know, to worship, to praise, to hear from God. And before we uh, go into the sermon, uh, one of the things I needed to make is to make an announcement. Let me invite Debbie up. Uh, where is Debbie? There she is. Let me invite Debbie up. So I needed to make an announcement about Debbie. So Debbie Main, as uh, she comes up, she is our women's ministry uh, leader. And I just wanted to announce that she has made the decision to step down from her role at Suvi Church after uh, much prayer. Things that she has found uh, challenging. So what she's doing is really taking this opportunity to take an extended break to rest. So this year has been a very busy and tough year for her, and she hasn't had the opportunity to rest. And the plan is for her last day to be on the 22nd of September. Uh, her and her husband, John, they do intend to stay at Suvi at this point as they consider how she can best serve God in the future. So they would appreciate prayers for them uh, as she takes a break from ministries. So we do need to pray for Debbie. Uh, John, if you're here, let me invite you up as well. Let's say a prayer for Debbie and let's pray for her right now. You can come closer, Debbie. You don't have to stand so far away. All right, let's pray for Debbie right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the ministry of Debbie and her love for your people and her love for uh, Jesus as she has served um, the women here at Suvi Church. And Father, we do ask and pray for her as she um, steps down from this uh, role, uh, as she rests from after a really tough and busy year. We do ask and pray that you re refresh her soul, that you would minister to her during this time. And Father, as a people as well, help us to be encouraging to her, to pray for her, to pray for John. I pray that this time that they, uh, John and Debbie, they are able to spend time together to really minister to one another, Lord, uh, and to be able just to uh, live as a couple together so they can spend extended time together. And I pray, Father, that um, as she considers how she can best serve you in the future, uh, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you help her, give her wisdom, uh, guide her, Lord, in those ways. Uh, we do ask and pray, and we are ever so blessed from her ministry, and we ask and pray that she continues to be a wonderful blessing to us uh, in the future as well. So, we, Father, we, as a church, we commit her into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Debbie will still be around after the service. Feel free to come and have a chat with her and encourage her uh, during that, this time as well. Well, let me start. Uh, let me uh, start the sermon with this uh, scenario. Imagine you are driving in the middle of the night. Okay? You're driving in the middle of the night. There's no cars around you, and you realize it really is just you driving. And then you come to a set of traffic lights, and it is red. You know, you know, there's no red light cameras on this set of lights. 
Don't see any cars around you. So, do you run the red light and just because well, and just go anyways? Because there's no one around you. There's no cars. There's no red lights. Uh, no, there's no cameras there. You won't be caught. Well, be honest with yourself. What would you do? What do you think you will actually do if you know that you are definitely going to get away with it without any repercussions from the law? Will you fill in your tax returns in such a way that you get more return even though it might not be 100% accurate? Will you steal from your neighbor? Will you drive to anywhere at top speed past the speed limit and know that you, know, you will not get caught? Or would you, to give an extreme example, would you choose to murder someone if you know you can get away with it? There is a movie with that premise called uh, The Purge. In that movie, there is one day where all crime is legal, including murder, and emergency services are unavailable for 12 hours. So for that one day, everything is legal. All crime is legal. As you can imagine, that story does not paint a pretty picture of what happens next in society. It delves into violence, goes into distrust among people, is chaotic, and that's murder going on. Now, I didn't watch the movie, I just read the summary from Wikipedia. But what would you do if you know that you can get away with it? I, I know those examples are a little bit extreme, and I trust that many of us you know, will recoil a little bit at those suggestions and say that, you know, they will never do that. There's something within us that, you know, we know that these actions, they are wrong, and that we should not be doing these things. And I'm, in some sense, I'm very thankful to, for, those, for those who require these suggestions. And I bring these things up because Paul brings up the topic of governing authorities in our chapter today. And he generally has positive things to say about them in our passage. He calls Christians to be subject to governing authorities. This is not something that we talk about a lot, but a topic that surprisingly the Bible has more to say than we think. Before we get into Romans 13, we once again need to remember the context. Right? Remember from the last few weeks, we saw that Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that's like the heading for the rest of Romans. Right? Paul urges us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God in view of God's mercy. That begins with the renewal of our minds. And then last week, we saw that one of the major things that comes from the renewal of our minds is the revolution in our relationships. Right? The upside-down world of the gospel should turn all our relationships upside down. And he begins to discuss what that means in verses 3 to 8 within the church. Right? He talks about how in view of God's mercy, it transforms our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all members of that one body. We serve one another with the grace that has been given to us. And then he moves on to talk about how we relate to people outside the church from verses 9 to 21, how we should treat them. Now, if you notice the common theme, the common thread in those instructions, at the heart of what he calls Christians to do is love. We love our brothers and sisters in the church as one body in Christ. We serve one another in love. We love those who are outside the church and how that's expressed 
in those ways is a little bit different. But the heart of those instructions that Paul gives is to have a posture of love towards those who are outside the church. I mention that because as we come to Romans 13, he begins to talk about the governing authorities. This theme of love actually continues on. He doesn't just abandon it, it continues on. But that's expressed in our submission to the governing authorities. And then he talks about love being the fulfillment of the law. How does that relate? We will find out. We will see what Paul says in Romans 13. And I know that, you know, talking about the government from the pulpit can be tricky. Can be tricky. You know, Christians have very strong uh, feelings about the government one way or another. But God has something to say about our governing authorities. He has something to say through Paul in Romans 13, and we are going to look at that. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 14. As always, I always want to encourage you, if you have your own Bibles, bring your own Bibles, so that you can see the larger context of that. And we will have the passage on the screen as well. And as I read it, let me invite you to stand as I read from Romans chapter 13. Listen to the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 13. Verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For, God, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You may be seated. Now, as you can probably see, this section it divides itself up very nicely to three parts. And so it's not surprising. We are going to look at three points today. 
And we will be spending most of our time this evening on the first point, because it's the biggest point. So we're going to look at our first point. Point number one, we love others by submitting to the governing authorities. We love others by submitting to the governing authorities. This is what this whole section is about. He calls his readers to be subject to the governing authorities. Verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, in our day-to-day, it is not surprising. For many of us, we can see Christians, they can have very strong feelings when it comes to the government. But how should we think about the government? To help us think through this topic, we must first understand the idea of God's common grace. This is talking about that aspect of God's grace that is given to everyone here on earth, Christians and non-Christians alike, hence the word common, grace that is common for everyone. And the idea is that God is good and His goodness extends to all human beings. And one aspect of His goodness to all human beings is God's restraint of sin so that we can enjoy all the blessings here on earth. And how does God restrain sin? Through the establishment of the governing authorities. Look at verse 1 again, at the end of verse 1. He says, For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Governing authorities are established by God. Do you hear that? The government we have here in Australia, in many senses, is established by God. But it is even more remarkable if you think about for Paul himself. He lived during the time when the Roman Empire is occupying Israel. And everyone is at the whim of the emperor of the empire. And at that time, Nero was the emperor of the Roman Empire, and if you know anything about Nero, he's not the most pleasant person. And then he comes and says, the governing authorities are established by God. Notice what he says next. Notice the role of the governing authorities, verses 2 and 3. He says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. For those who do good, who, for those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror to those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. You see what he says? Governing authorities are there to establish order and justice. Right? Whoever does wrong, they will be judged. Whoever does right will be commended. It is because of these governing authorities that we can live in our society. Otherwise, it will be anarchy, chaos. Who would want to live in a world where everything goes and there are no laws against evil? That would be a nightmare. And, and, and in many senses, that would be hell. No one wants to live in a place like that. Governing authorities restrain the sin in all human beings by punishing those who do wrong and commending those who do right. And that's why Paul later on refers to these authorities as God's servants, agents of God's wrath. 
Remember what he says earlier on in Romans 12, where he says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. And one way God's wrath is expressed, one way God judges those who do wrong and commit sin is through the governing authorities. They act as God's agent of wrath. Those who do right are commended. Look at verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your own good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on a wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Is that how you think about our government? Paul views the governing authorities as God's servants. Do you? I ask this because there are many Christians today who talk about engaging the culture, they talk about the government, and they talk about the government becoming more and more hostile to Christians. And for many Christians, their default posture towards the government is one of suspicion, one of hostility. And instead of thinking of the government as God's servants, they think of the government as enemies of the church. And they seem to be angry all the time about the government. But think about how the world will view Christians as they see us, if that's the case. Always angry, always denouncing the government, always arguing. Christians in the second century AD, they were very much in a similar culture to ours. Carl Truman, a church historian, he wrote about how Christians responded to those, to that in those days. I'm going to read a little bit of what he says in his book, Strange New World. It's a bit of a long quote, but it's a very insightful one. Listen to what he says. The so-called Greek apologists, such as Justin Martyr, he lived in the first and second century, addressed the Roman Empire from a Christian perspective. What is so interesting when compared to some, some of the ways many Christians, right and left, do so today is how respectful these ancient apologies were. They did not spend their time denouncing the evils of the emperor and his court. Rather, they argued positively that Christians make the best citizens, the best parents, the best servants, the best neighbors, the best employees, that they should thus be left alone and be allowed to carry on with their day-to-day -day lives without being harassed by the authorities. Of course, there were limits to what they could do to participate in civic life. If asked to sacrifice to the emperor as to a god, they would have to refuse. But beyond such demands, they could be good members of the Roman community. You see how they defended the Christian faith in those days. As Christians, we are good citizens. We are honest, we are kind, we are generous, we are helpful citizens of the empire, of the country. We don't break the law, we don't cause chaos. In other words, we love our country by submitting to the governing authorities. Imagine if that's the case with Christians today, where we are such good citizens that the government actually commends us, where Christians can be the best students or the best teachers with the best results that produces 
the kindest, gentlest, most honest student. Imagine if Christians were such good, generous, kind neighbors that people actually want Christians in their neighborhood. Imagine if our politicians know that Christians are praying for them and their family and wishing them well. By being good and obedient citizens to, our, to the governing authorities, we are loving those in our world. And in our Bible reading, we see the same point that Peter makes in 1 Peter. Let me read verse 12 from 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Same idea in verses 6 and 7 here in Romans 13. Listen to why he says, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So how should we treat and live with our government? With respect, by submitting to our governing authorities. But only in so far as to what they are pushing is right in the eyes of God. Because notice Paul's point here. God established these governing authorities to commend what is right and to punish wrongdoers. That is the role of the governing authorities. When they stray from that, especially if they're commanding us to go against the law of God, then we cannot submit because they are not functioning as to how God intended them to be. In Paul's days, when the emperor demands worship from the Christians, they could not and they must not submit to that, and they did not. They're happy to do many other things, but not that, because that violates God's commands. When the apostles were commanded to stop preaching the gospel, no, they didn't follow that. No, they didn't submit to that. They are happy to suffer the consequences. It's the same with us today. We love others by submitting to our governing authorities, yes. But we cannot submit when it violates God's commands. And one of the blessings for us is, unlike Paul, we live in a democracy where we have a voice, we have some say as to how our government is run. And so what do we do? We take that opportunity. Make your voice heard, but not in a hostile and angry manner, but in a respectful, gentle, firm manner, giving good reasons for your position, all the while while being good, law-abiding citizens. Right, we love others by submitting to the governing authorities. That's point number one. Point number two, we love one another and fulfill the law. We love one another and fulfill the law. Verses 8 to 10. So this section, verses 8 to 10, is Paul's summary of what he's been talking about for the, one, for the last chapter and a half. Right, verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. <clears throat> Sometimes Christians have used this verse to say, 
to make the point that you know, we can't have any debt whatsoever. Well, I, I don't think that's what Paul means. But at the very least, what Paul means is that we must make sure that we can pay back out any debt that we may have. We must not leave any debt remain outstanding. But there's one kind of debt that's always outstanding for us. One that, that we cannot ever fully repay. And that is the debt of loving one another. That is a debt that we can never fully repay. There can never be a time where we say, oh, I paid you back enough. I've loved you enough. I'm going to stop now. Never happens. Right? We have a continuing debt to love one another. In other words, we are called to love one another all the time, for all time. We never stop loving one another. And as we love one another, we fulfill the law. Right? Paul quotes and brings up four of the Ten Commandments, you know, God's law of you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not covet, and whatever commands they may be. All of these commands that God gives is summed up with that, in that one command of loving your neighbor. Right? Because the essence, the heart of all the other commands is how we treat others is our love for others, isn't it? If we love our spouse, we will, not, we will not commit adultery. If we love our neighbors, we will not steal. If we love others, we will not murder. At the heart of all these commands is love for others. That's what we're called to do. That is the posture we need to take in our lives towards others, a posture of love towards others. It should be characterized by love for others. Not, for, not love for ourselves, love for others. And as we do that, we fulfill the law because that's the underlying principle that undergirds all the commands of God. And that is at the heart of what Paul has been calling Christians to do since Romans chapter 12, verse 1 onwards. Love is central in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love that binds us together that motivates us to serve one another with the gifts that God has given us. It is love that governs all our relationships and dealings with those outside the church. It is through love that we can bless those who persecute us, that we overcome evil with good, and it's because of love that we submit to the governing authorities as they are God's servants. Love is central in our lives. It should characterize the lives of Christians towards others. It should not be fear. It should not be anger. It should not be hostility. When the world sees Christians or meet Christians, they should see, they should feel, they should sense, they should experience love. Because love is the fulfillment of the law. And then Paul ends with verses 11 to 14. And that's our last point today. We love others in light of the end. We loved others in light of the end. At the end of Romans chapter 13, Paul called Christians to look forward, to love others in light of the end of this age and the start of the new age to come. Right, look at verse 11. He says, and do this understanding the present time. Do this, that is, living a life of worship in love that we just talked about. And as you do this, as you love one another, 
understand the present time. Now, hopefully, one of the things that you remember as we go through this um, series in Romans, yeah, and David talked a lot about this, is that we live in the overlap of the two ages. Right? We saw that we have this present evil age, present evil age as we have seen, and throughout Romans, we saw that we have been saved out of this present evil age, transferred into the kingdom of Jesus in this realm of Christ where grace is present, grace reigns. But of course, as you have seen throughout the series, this age is not, this new age is not fully here just yet. That will be there when Christ returns. But before that, we now live in the now and not yet. That's the age we live in, the overlap of the ages. And as we live in this overlap of the ages, we look forward to the day when Christ will come back and make all things new. And that day is nearer now than when we first believed. Each passing day is a day closer to the coming of Jesus. Right, look at verse 11 and 12. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation, that is the new creation, our future salvation, is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Each day we live in this overlap of the ages is one day closer to the end, the end of this present evil age, one day closer to the day of the new creation. And in other words, what Paul is saying is that we are always moving forwards, not backwards. We are always moving forwards, closer to the day when Christ will come again. And so, verse 12, he says, Let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. The end is coming, so let us live in the light. Let us live as God's people with a life of worship out of love. Don't be complacent about our faith. Wake up from your slumber. Live in view of God's mercy because Christ will come back soon. That's what he calls us to do. A life of love. And he ends this chapter with verses 13 and 14 in Romans chapter 13. Now did you know that these two verses are one of the most impactful verses in all of church history? All of church history. Let me tell you this story as we come to the end. Let me tell you the story of Augustine. Augustine was someone who lived in the 4th and 5th century AD. And in his book, The Confessions, he tells of his story of conversion. Right? In his young life, he pursued all the pleasures the world has offered him. He was raised by a devout Christian mother. But he grew up as an atheist. He tried to search for life's, the answers of life's biggest questions. So what he would do is that he would follow different philosophers. He would try to follow their teachings. But he never found any that satisfied his intellectual curiosity. And at the same time, as he does all of that, he also lived a life of rampant immorality because he satisfied the cravings of his flesh. And so one day as he was struggling in anguish about the questions of life, he was in a courtyard, he hears the voice of a child chanting over and over. Pick it up, read it. Pick it up, read it. Pick it up, read it. And he says, this is 
this is a divine nudge, something from God. And so he runs back to his Bible that he left on a bench. He opens it up, reads the first passage there, and it was Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. And listen to his description of his experience. He says this, I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to. For instantly as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty and all the glooms of doubt vanished away. Let me read verses 13 and 14. This is what Paul says. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This passage struck him because those were the exact things that characterized his life. But God used that to change his life and convert him. And he went on to be one of the most influential theologians of the Christian church. For, not just for the Protestant church, it's for Eastern Orthodox, for Roman Catholic. He became one of the most influential theologians. And the reason why I brought him up is not just because of this passage. It's because also how he understood what sin is. And he understood his own sin. Throughout his book, Confession, he reflects upon his own life. And he tried to figure out why did he do the things that he did. He tried to understand himself. And he came to understand the essence of sin as disordered love. Sin is not the lack of love, but rather sin is our love being directed in the wrong place, especially love directed to ourselves. And that leads us back to what Paul has been talking about in this chapter, isn't it? Love. Love of others is the fulfillment of the law. Augustine understood love is central in our lives, but Sin is the misdirection of that love to ourselves. But here in this chapter, we see it's love for others as the fulfillment of the law. And in our own sinfulness, it is impossible for us to order our hearts to love the right things. Love for God, love for others, impossible. We are absolutely dependent on God's grace to change our hearts. And that's why we have verse 14. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. As we saw from last week, as we saw from two weeks ago, this life of worship that we have, this life of love that we have, is always in view of God's mercy to us in Jesus. And so we need the grace of God to change our hearts. And it is only in Christ that we can love as Christ loved. He is the only one who truly loved others and truly loved God fully and completely. He is not only our standard in which we aspire to, He is the one that enables us to do so. And so as the end of the age draws near, that's why we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. Paul can call us to love others, to have our life characterized by love. But at the end of the day, the way that we do that is to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ, 
the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Let me pray. Father God, we do indeed come before you. Lord, we read these commands here in Romans chapter 13, where we are called to love others, to submit to the governing authorities, to seek the welfare of others. Lord, we admit there are times where it is so impossibly hard. So impossibly hard because of our own sinfulness, because of our own hard hearts. But Lord, we look to Christ that despite our sinfulness, despite our rebellion, despite of who we are, Christ still loved us. Christ still went through the cross for us. That He stayed on the cross for us. And He was powerfully raised from the dead for us. He's the one who truly loved others one who truly submitted to the governing authorities, even though it was evil. But yet through that, He won salvation for us. And so Lord, as our people right now, Your people, a people redeemed by Jesus Christ, help us to live a life of love, a life that is characterized by Your grace and love. Help us to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are touched by Your grace. Father, we ask and pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that we do as a people, as Subi Church, every single week, is that we come and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what we do is that we turn our eyes, we look to Christ, we look to His outward love for all of us. Right, in Romans 13, we hear Paul's call for us to live a life of love. But as God's people, we look to Christ as the one who did it perfectly. He loved and obeyed God perfectly. He loved us perfectly by going to the cross to die for our sins and rose again on the third day. And so as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is a way, God's way for us to receive His grace once more, the grace of Jesus Christ, to focus our minds upon Him, on what Christ has done, and bring our hearts back to Jesus. And so this evening, as we take the elements, take it in faith, trusting in the gospel of what Christ has done for us, it is a way that God nourishes, God strengthens our faith. So that as we go from here, we can live a life of love. Let me pray. Father, as we come to take the Lord's Supper, we Ask and pray that by your Spirit you work in and through the elements as we partake of it. To trust in you, to look to Jesus, to hold firm to the gospel promise in Christ. That he has loved us and he will never let us go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is for those who call Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior. If you are here, you are not a Christian, we ask that you remain seated. Please don't feel any pressure to take. Let me invite the first few rows to come, to stand, to come to the front and uh, receive the communion elements. Hold the bread, hold the cup. We will partake of them together at the end.
Let us come and remember the body of Jesus given to us. Let's take together. And the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink together. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and grace in and through the cross. And we thank you for your resurrection, for justification. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing our closing song.
just sung, you know, we will build our life upon God's love, isn't it? It is a firm foundation. As we build our life on that, then we can go out and love others. That our life is characterized by love towards others. May we be a people that can do that, that is characterized by love. If you're here this evening, you do need prayer, feel free to come to the front. Um, Pastor David is there. Uh, We'll be more than happy to pray with and for you. Let me send you off and end with this wonderful benediction from 2 Corinthians. May the love of the Father and the grace of the Son and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.